today, we need to be reminded of the person of God, of who he is, of what he has done for us, and what he continues to do for us. We're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture this morning. Last week we looked at 1 Corinthians. I hope you can all remember that. And this week we're going to look at 2 Corinthians, just one book on. Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. It was written roughly one year after 1 Corinthians. Things had settled a little bit. If you know anything about Corinth at that time, it was a very, very busy place, a trading city. And here we have a church, a new church that's trying to develop one of the first churches in that region. And God, give, and God uses Paul to send a message to them and continues to send messages of encouragement and how they should be as a fellowship. In your Bibles, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 17. And there are some beautiful verses of Scripture here in this passage, some very powerful ones reminding us of the person of God and how he has changed us. And as, as human beings, we, we do need to be reminded on a regular basis of what God has done for us. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, takes his pen. He begins to write this beautiful letter to the church at Corinth. And we're going to read from verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, your version may say sins, against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteous of God. That is a very powerful and wonderful piece of scripture. And it summarizes the relationship that we have with God, and it summarizes what Christ has done for us and had a need that, there is a need that we must go on. There's a couple of people here I know that live in the UK. I want to tell you something that's unusual about the UK, is that every house has something in common. And if you were to walk up to someone's house, and it doesn't matter if you lived in a town if you lived in the countryside, if you lived in a, a remote region, as you approach the front door of that house, there will be a rectangular cutout, and there will be a flap behind it. We call that a letter box. It's not actually a box, it's a hole. Or we call it a mail, you may call it a mailbox. And every day, except Sundays, someone will come, if you have mail, and deliver it and they'll push the letters through the box, and they'll tumble down onto the floor. 
And that's been something that's been going on for at least about 100 years. And every house is the same. And the unique thing is, it doesn't matter how remote you are, someone will get that letter to you. And it'll be someone that trundles along in a little van. Has anyone seen Postman Pat? <laughs> Believe me, Postman Pat is nothing like the real mailman. He gets distracted. But someone will drive along in a little van or be on a little bike or in a big city. They'll walk around with a big bag and throw mail into all the houses every single day. In the UK, I see my postman every day. And what's special about it is that no matter what you're doing, when you hear that mail drop through the letterbox, you stop. And you could be in the middle of watching something on television. You could be in the middle of a conversation. You could be writing an essay. It doesn't matter. When you hear that mail drop down, for some reason, you're just attracted to it, and you go and pick it up. And as you pick it up, you generally have a good bag and a bad bag. The good bag is, well, let's talk about the bad bag. The bad bag is bills. The bad bag is the things you don't really want to hear about, flyers. And then very occasionally on the good bag, there'll be a letter from someone, something personal, something special. And you know, we live in a day um, where everything is so rapid. We live in the social, uh, we have so social media around us. We have so many things that we know everything when it happens to everyone. But to receive a letter that someone has written for you, to you, and it's personal, is special. And let's just think of the church at Corinth receiving this letter, not really from Paul, but from God. And I don't know how that letter was delivered. I'm pretty sure there wasn't a postman. But they would have been together, I'm sure, and someone, they probably couldn't all read Greek, and someone probably said, this is what Paul is saying to us. And can you imagine the excitement within that fellowship as these words were read, as they were reminded that they are changed, changed people because of Christ. Verse 20 of this passage, we read, we use the word, let me read it to you. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, ambassadors. Last week, Matthew talked about the importance of, of church membership, of the responsibilities that we have. And when you are a Christian, you are, a, you are an ambassador for Christ. And when we use the word ambassador, we normally think of someone representing their country who has ambassadorial-type duties, and you see him sharp at dinner parties and things like that. Or if one country is in trouble with another country, uh, the ambassador is summoned. And the reason the ambassador is summoned is because he is representative of his country. And we are representative of Christ. This fellowship is a representative of Christ. Each one of us here represents our Lord Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors for him. But there's some other interesting words within these passages as, as we move on. In verse 18, read, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself. And that's an interesting word. It's a Greek word, katalasso. And that means to change, to change from what we were. 
So the people in Corinth, the church there reading this, were saying, we were like this, but now we're like this. Reconciled. Changed. We're changed people. All of you here who believe in Christ are changed people. We take communion because we are changed people and we want to be reminded of that change through what Christ has done for us. And then in verse 19, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And this is the part of the passage that I'd like to focus on today, not counting the sins against them, because that's the very fundamental of our belief. The fact that we can have a relationship with God is because our sins are forgiven, that we can be made clean, that before God, we know that our past is not counted against us. And Paul reminds the church of this, that they have experienced the forgiveness of Christ. And we're going to delve into a spiritual toolbox this morning. We can put it that way. If anyone's practical here, you'll know how nice it is to have a toolbox. I like toolboxes. I, I like engineering. I like fiddling. I like fixing things. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of you here that are the same as me. And if you open up your toolbox, you'll see in the top, maybe you'll see the things you use the most like screwdrivers, hammers, and then as you go down deeper and deeper to things you don't use so much, but boy, you need them there just in case, just in case that job comes up. And then there may be some tools that you'll never use at all. And never admit to that, that you bought a tool you're never going to use. But in a spiritual toolbox, everything is used. God does not give us anything to sit around and not be used. And the And the tool I'd like to talk about stems from this passage. It's about forgiveness. And that's not the forgiveness that we have. It's the forgiveness that we express. The forgiveness that we give to others around us. Because we need that. We need to be able to forgive. And God wants us to be forgivers. Anyone here been shopping to Ikea? It's an interesting experience, isn't it, Ikea? If you come into our house, sit down on the settee, you might recognize that settee. If you go to our table, sit at the table with the chairs, you may say, I've seen this before. And if you poke your head into one of the bedrooms, you might see a bed there. Say, where have I seen that bed? It all came from Ikea. And like many people that come here, we didn't, uh, we didn't come with any furniture, so we had to buy everything. There's not a huge selection of furniture in Abu Dhabi. You've probably found, found that out. So we go to a big store like Ikea. But I want to tell you about an experience at Ikea that I had. It's my first time there. I was a bit naive about how it works. And I went in, and I wanted a table and some chairs. And I saw a table and some chairs, and I thought, that looks nice. I'll get that. So I asked for someone, and he gave me this piece of paper and a pencil. He said, just write down what you want on there. So I did. And I had to walk about three kilometers through the rest of the shop. I ended up in this gigantic warehouse. 
and I gave the paper to someone, and he said, you've got to go over there. So I did, and there's a big, big box. I said, that doesn't look like a table. It's got no legs. And the chairs don't look like chairs. They're just flat boxes. And very soon you realize that you've got work to do. You've got work to do. And you get it home, and you open it up. There's all these instructions. And you can't sit on it. You've got to put it together first. Now, I, uh, I don't speak Swedish. I know there's one or two people in here that do. But I wonder if IKEA actually stands for you must build this because that's what you have to do. And so you start to put it together. And if, like me, you put it together the first time, it can be a bit complicated. You forget to put a bit on, then you've got to take it all apart again and do it, do it back. Yeah? But you know what's interesting? If you build, let's say you're building a chair. When you build the second chair, you don't actually make the mistakes that you made building the first chair. And by the time you get to the fourth or fifth chair, if like me, you're building eight of them, you've got everything set out, ready. It's almost like an industrial line that's going to go together. And it goes together very quickly because you've learned from what's happened on the first build. And, you know, forgiveness is a little bit like that. We have to learn it. It's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. It's not always something that comes naturally. And just like that piece of furniture, you've got to put some effort in. But when you put the effort in, you get the result. So why is it sometimes difficult for us to forgive others? Why is it sometimes a challenge for us when we want to forgive? Why is it something that's, not, that's sometimes alien? Just think of what we are as Christians, where we are and what we do and the society that we live in. You know, we're actually, as believers in Christ, we're slightly an alien society. If you were to drop yourself in the river of life and someone said swim, the current actually would be going in a slightly different direction from what we believe as Christians. In the world, we'd be swimming along with greed because that's the way the world flows. We'd be swimming along with selfishness, with disagreement, with jealousy, with boredom, with anger, with apathy. And when Christians, we kind of have to turn it around and start swimming the other way. And we have all these things around us. And as they're around us, we sometimes are called upon to know what it is to forgive when someone lets us down or there's a situation that develops and we have to be understanding. And maybe we're doing something which is rare. We're giving of ourselves for someone else. Now, if you're a parent, you know what forgiveness is certainly in your own family. We're forgiving. We're forgiving of our children and all the things that they do. We might forgive our children once a day. If you're on a long journey and it's hot and they're in the back screaming, you might be uh, exercising forgiveness every hour. But God wants us to be people that can forgive. Now, 
you might be wondering, why is David standing up here talking about this? Uh, I can assure you, I didn't get a nod from someone, maybe one of the elders come up and say to me, boy, David, you've got to speak about this subject in our fellowship. It's really important. Talk about forgiveness. We've got to know what this is all about. No one actually came up and said that to me. Matthew didn't come up and say to me, we have a crisis here. You've got to start speaking about forgiveness, please. No one said that to me. We have to know about forgiveness because we have been forgiven. And God wants us to show in others what he has done for us. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful? We sang that when we recognized God. When we sang, you are holy, you are holy. We believe in God. We believe what he has done for us. So, we're going to look at three very quick things in the time that we have left. What does forgiveness do? I'm going to jump through a couple of passages and scriptures. And the first one is, and it might be good to write these down if you are taking notes, we forgive because it's necessary for our own forgiveness. Now, that might be a bit of a strange thing to say, but if you know your Bibles well, and in particular, who here knows the Lord's Prayer? Put your hands up if you know the Lord's Prayer. You probably learned it at school or church, uh, children's church. I learned it, learned it at school. I learned it in the authorized version. There weren't that many versions of the Bible around when I was at school. And the thing I used to pray every day as part of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins, or in some versions, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who sin against us. That's in the Lord's Prayer. And God is saying to us, that's what I want you to do. I want you, as you're praying, to be reminded that your sins are forgiven and that you should be forgiving other people's sins. And that's what Paul's alluded to, the church here. Your sins are forgiven. Now start living like a fellowship. Now start living as one. Now start living as you should do before me because your sins are forgiven and you've now got to go out and you've got to start forgiving other people. Is part of our forgiveness. It's like being given something. We've given something. It's dear. Someone's actually died to give it to us. But we're not, if we don't forgive, we're not using it. It's just there being held. It's of no use. We've got to go out and we've got to use it. In Luke chapter 15, verse 11, there's a, there's a story that Jesus told, it's called a parable. So that's a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what a parable means, about the prodigal son. I think we all know the story, and it's a story we can kind of relate to in some, some respects. And if you don't know the story, let me just very briefly re, uh, remind you of it. There is a father, and he's obviously of, of standing and of wealth and position, and he has two sons. And the younger son comes to him and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance right now. I want to take it. I want to go off and do my own thing. And surprisingly, his father gives it to him. And the son goes off and he wastes it. That's what prodigal means. Prodigal means wasteful. If we had to use the term today, it would be someone like someone who gambles, who is wasting money. The money is being used on, on nothing of worth. And the son goes away and he wastes absolutely everything he has. 
And his position of, of being better than what he was now begins to descend to when he is worthless. He is worth less than the animals that he's feeding. That's the only job that he could get. And he comes to his, his senses in a form, a, a, a form of his senses, and says, I've got to be better off at home than this. It can't get any worse. And so with head bowed down, he goes back to his family, expecting to be chastised, expecting to be reminded of the failure that he had made. But what happens in this story? His father sees him at a distance. He rushes out to greet him. He embraces him. He loves him. He forgives him. He's forgiving him. And we know the story well, and we, we look at it from different perspectives. We look at it from the son's perspective. We look at it from the brother's perspective. And the brother says, but when this son of yours came who, was, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother, your brother was dead and is alive. He was, a, he was lost and is found. The outflowing of forgiveness that came from the Father is remarkable. And that's an example to us. We need to know what it is to forgive, no matter how much hurt we have caused. And I don't know uh, everyone's individual situation here. There may be people that have really hurt you. There may be things you say, that is it. I can never, ever forgive that person. And that may be between you and God. And I don't know the answers to the very difficult situations where huge hurt and anger and maybe even physical harm has taken place. But the father knew what forgiveness was and he extended it to his son. And we are forgiven and we have to extend it. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The Father's desire to forgive was greater than his desire to chastise his son. Isn't that interesting? We challenge our own lives. Is our desire to forgive greater than our desire not to forgive. Because that's what it has to be. So we're reaching down into that spiritual toolbox. We're taking out forgiveness, and we've got to start using it because God has forgiven us. Through the work of Jesus Christ, our sins have been forgiven, and we now, to, we now need to extend that further. Let me just read one passage to you. 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, please turn to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. So we're jumping back a couple of uh, chapters. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Paul is setting an example here. If you forgive anyone, I am forgiving them. Paul is an apostle appointed by God. And he had lots to forgive. So that's the first point. The second point is it restores Christian fellowship. 
a tool we use in Christian fellowship. We talked about this a little bit in our, in our Bible study group last night when we were looking at the passage in 1 Corinthians that, that was shared with us last week. We all come to church, and we all believe in Christ, and we sing hymns and choruses, and we pray together, and we are all always perfect here, aren't we? There's never a problem. There's never an issue. We've never, ever, ever had a problem in this church. If I'm talking about a church that doesn't exist, every church has issues of some kind. Some are big, some are small. Why? Because we're humans. We're humans. We come together. And so many times we need to be reminded of our, of our ancestry, our DNA, who? Adam and Eve. Where did they fail? They failed at the very first hurdle. God said, don't do that, and they did. Why? They're humans. And you know, the wonderful thing about Scripture is that we read even in chapter 3 of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, that God has already made a way for the human race to be saved. And if you know that scripture well, you'll read that he would bruise the serpent's head. The coming of Christ, some time later. And you know, this fellowship is no different from any other group of people, in so much that we all are sinners. We all fail God. We fail and will fail one another at times. And we have to know as a fellowship, what it is to forgive. We need to be a bit flexible about some things. That's something else we were chatting about last night. We're from all different countries, all different uh, cultures, different denominations, different ideas, but we make it work. Why? Because the one thing we do have in common is Christ. And Christ has forgiven us, and we are to forgive those around us. Isn't that wonderful? Let's look at an example of this. You know the story of Joseph? Joseph, his father Jacob liked Joseph. His father Jacob went to Yas Mall and bought him a fabulous coat. He says, that's just for you. And uh, Joseph takes the coat and he wasn't very good with it. And if you know the story, he was boasting. He says, look what I've got. Hey, and not only that, I know that one day you're going to bow down before me and you can kind of understand his brothers getting a bit upset at that, can't you? You can understand his brothers thinking, who does he think he is? Coming in here, coming to us, telling us how it's going to be. And so they scheme. And initially they decide that they're going to kill him. That's how serious it was. And then Reuben, one of his brothers, said, look, this is not, not such a good idea. We shouldn't have that on our conscience and they sold him, eventually sold him into slavery. He went to Egypt. And Joseph may be thinking, wow, I've come from here, and now I'm a slave. But it got worse. And he was in the household of Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's governors, and he got in even more trouble through doing absolutely nothing wrong, and eventually got thrown into jail. And jail is, at that time would be very different from what jail might be now. He was very low, the lowest of the low. And at that point, I think that was when God began to say to him, 
Now we're going to start making it work. Now we're going to know what forgiveness is. Now we're going to start changing your life. And through the mistakes that you've made and through the mistakes that your brothers have made, I will be glorified. And that's what happened. And he got to be reunited with his family. And he wasn't angry with them. He wasn't, he didn't want to be, uh, he didn't want to excommunicate them. He wanted to be with them. And it's a lovely passage in Scripture in Genesis where he's crying at them being reunited together. And he, and he says to them, this was God's plan. And when we forgive, that too is God's plan because we are exercising what God wants us to do. We've got the opportunity, just like Joseph, to forgive, to go out, to care. We've got the opportunity to show God in our lives and extend that to others. What a wonderful passage that is. Lastly, when we forgive, it's a cleaning process. It's a cleaning process. If you've got young children, they don't like to be clean, do they? It's a natural. I, as a boy, I remember I used to hate having a bath. I used to hate having a shower. I loved being dirty the whole time because that's what, that was far more fun. It's far more fun than sitting having soap rubbed into you and washed off and smelling, smelling nice. It was much better to smell horrible. And for some reason, young children don't smell the things that their parents smell. It's a great feeling, running around, earthy, earthy. If you wear glasses or sunglasses, if, you get, if you're handling them and you get uh, your fingerprints on them, after a while you can't see through them. There's a barrier there, just like the barrier of that dirt on a child's skin. There's a barrier there that you can't see through and you need to clean it so that you can see what's around you. And, the, and forgiveness is like that cleaning process in us. It gets rid of those barriers. And, you know, if you're ever in that uncomfortable situation where there is some form of dissension or where there's disappointment or where there is something that's holding you back or there's a grudge, you get stuck and you need spiritual cleansing. And it's like taking that face cloth and wiping all the dirt away. And, the, you know, the, the unique thing about it is that you're not the primary beneficiary. When we forgive, it's an act of love to someone else. It's not, what do I get out of this? If I forgive, what's good in it for me? You know, what change is going to be? What, what, what advantage is there? It's not about that. It's about giving. And when we forgive, we give. And that's part of the way that we're cleansed before God. In the book of Acts, we read about Stephen, one of the first apostles. And he helped found the church. And after a period of time, Stephen was taken and he was arrested and he was stoned. And as he was going through this terrible process of execution, he asked for the people around him to be forgiven. 
no advantage to him, but it was an expression of his love for those around him. And our Lord too, on the cross, can be reminded of those words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That the others are the beneficiary. And if we want to be clean before God, we need to know what it is to forgive. God doesn't want us to hold those things inside. It's a lovely passage of Scripture in Corinthians. It's a summary of how important it is to live our lives for God. And when we forgive, and it's a spiritual tool that we pull out, we know that it's necessary for our own forgiveness to experience the truly wonderful gift of what God has given us and passing that on to others. It restores our Christian fellowship. You know, we need to work on that together. God has blessed us here in this place. He has given us so many things that we can come together and worship in this place. And we need to know what it is to forgive one another when we fail or when there's misunderstanding. We need to make it work. And we need to be clean. We need to be able to present ourselves before God with our failings washed away as much as they can be. And one of the ways we do that is by practicing what he teaches us. We have a wonderful relationship. But like all relationships, they need work. And just like that chair that we need to put together, we work at it. The more we work at it, the easier it is. And forgiveness is like that. So my prayer this morning is that we might know what it is to be givers of what God has given us. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you that we can come into your presence. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we know that even though we have failed you, you continue to love us. Help us. Help us, Lord, in our lives to be good examples of what it means to be a Christian. Help us to hold fast to those things which are so important, to believe in you, to trust in you, to be reminded that our sins are forgiven and that we too can forgive. We ask these things now, Lord, in your name. Amen.